This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I'm Aaron Bentley, and I have some grievances to deal with at the top of this show. Mike Spears, who I will introduce forthwith, very upset. I don't introduce him the right amount of times. I don't introduce him appropriately. (laughs) Friend of the show, at Vincent Follower. Put together the numbers, talked about it in our in our Patreon uh, Discord. I have actually introduced Mike first one more time than Nate, almost exactly even. Wow. Yes. Now I'm mad. <laughs> I know. And uh, uh, Table, the Vincent follower, also said that on at least two occasions, both of you has complained that you don't get introduced first as often as the other one. <laughs> and it's almost exactly even. Well, good for you. And we'll probably still complain, right, Nate? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, great work by Vince and follower. Appreciate the, uh, you know, anybody that can bring data and real, uh, you know, uh, 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 sabermetrics to podcasting, I think, is uh, really on the cusp. Yes. So. All right, so uh, Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis, is with us, as you've already heard. How are you doing, Nate? Hello, world. I'm doing fine, um, you know, all things considered. Uh, kind of had a, a raw throat here for going on a while, so uh, bear with me on that point. Not that I ever sound particularly uh, – well, let's, let's see if I can get this word. Mellifluous? Mellifluous? That's a word, right? Wow, somebody's been studying for the SATs. Uh, did very well on my SATs. Thank you. I wow. think, uh, think I got a, a, a 1420 or thereabouts. Woo. Yeah. Look at this guy. All right. Uh, also with us, Mike Spears. Mike, how did you do on the SATs? Hey, y'all. It's your old pal, the Iron Mike Spears. Uh, 1320. Uh, highly. Wow. Oh, I just uh, got that one back. That one introduction. I just got it back in 100 SAT points over Mike. <laughs> I mean, are, are we really doing this? Are we really three guys in our 30s talking about SAT scores? Is this I, something that... I think you should probably put all three of our scores on the whiteboard. <laughs> all right, so AB? No, I, I'm not telling mine. Mine's worse than both of your alls. I'm not getting involved in this. Wow. Okay. Um, did, did either of y'all, like, I was a little nerd. Did either of y'all do the thing where, like, I think it was, like, Duke University did it, where, like, you go take the PSAT as, like, an eighth grader? Um, I mean, I was a real big nerd. Yeah, so. at some point, I don't remember the context or uh, circumstances. No, I I uh, purposefully skipped that. It was oh, okay. offered, but I purposefully skipped it uh, because all my nerd friends were doing it, <laughs> like you. I mean, yeah, there we go. <laughs> no, I, I mean, look, you did better than me, so probably doing your PSAT helped. Uh, you know, I have my friends who did the little like classes and stuff to get ready for the SAT. Uh, I did not do any of that. Maybe I should have. But at the when I was in high school, 
I, uh, my girlfriend was deciding where she wanted to go to college and I was just going to go where she went. And so I didn't really care. And we broke up before classes started. So uh, it, it all worked out. So one, you humble brag that you had a girlfriend in high school. <laughs> Two, you, you, you called me a nerd. I, I'm going to my low self. I, I, I'm getting the retribution for my complaining, aren't I? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes, you are. That's fair. Well, yes. Now, in fairness, that girlfriend is the one who made me go to Alcon. Oh, the famous Alcon. Oh, okay. <laughs> in 2002. So there was a, uh, I think the Times article pretty recently on Weird Al. Did you check that out? I did not. I, I left behind my any Weird Al interest uh, when she and I broke up. I do have one of my one of my good friends from high school who became like a hippie dude with like, you know, giant ear gauges and, you know, goes to see jam bands 60 times a year is also weirdly a really big Weird Al fan and goes to see Weird Al whenever he's in town. Well, buddy, Weird Al, I'm sorry, Alcon 2002 was in Chicago, Illinois. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know if you went uh, all the way back then. We might have still been, uh, of course, grieving 9-11, but uh, he certainly has gone numerous times since. <laughs> uh, lots of funny stories from Alcon 2002. We'll save those for another show, maybe on the Patreon. That'd be a great Patreon episode. Stories from Alcon. All right, well... Uh, if, if you want to hear more of our stories from Alcon, you can find us at Everything AEW on Twitter. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji Heya. Big rainstorm coming. I don't know if you all can hear that. Oh, have you not been able to hear my rainstorm coming through at the same time? I have not. We're rainstorming together. There we go. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating and review if you're on the Apple Podcasts app. And please check out patreon.com slash everything elite if you want some bonus content. Uh, tonight on the show, we're going to play Elite or Delete, of course. We're going to run down Dynamite from this week. We've got some information, not only on the television ratings, as we always do, but some additional information on Double or Nothing pay-per-view buys. So we will get into that. But I think we would be remiss if we did not start the substantive portion of the show with talking about what's going on in the world. I think if, if you've listened to this show for any period of time, you would probably understand uh, what Mike and Nate and I stand for. And of course, we are in uh, full-throated support of all protests that are happening in regard to uh, police brutality and black liberation. We stand with protesters who protest in any way, shape, or form uh, against uh, the activities of the police and the state. And I just thought it was good to, to start the show by talking about uh, that from the perspective of, I mean, we're just uh, three white guys. So I think it's good if if white people are listening, that you understand, you know, what's going on, what people are so upset about, and that you appreciate why people uh, have gone out in the way that they have. And I absolutely want to encourage people, you know, it's hit uh, literally close to home in that uh, Breonna Taylor and David McAtee were murdered by police officers in uh, the town where I live in Louisville, Kentucky. So I hope that if you have the ability to donate money, I would highly suggest you do. We'll link in the show notes to uh, a thing that will help you find a place that you can send money if you want, or if you want to get involved in other ways. Money's not the only way. You can get out on the streets, of course, and support people. Uh, there are 
organizations you can get involved with to, to donate your time. That would be helpful, I'm sure, in lots of ways. And of course, you can talk to the people around you about everything that's going on. So uh, guys, if you have anything to add, uh, yeah, don't uh, know that we want to, uh, as you mentioned, those three white guys spend, um, you know, go into a full lengthy discussion. Although I, uh, if you're new to the show, Aaron does have some unique perspective probably in that you do work, uh, you know, uh, uh, to protect the constitutional rights of prisoners and people that have been arrested. So you have firsthand familiarity, I'm sure with, you know, uh, the police lie all the time, uh, and all these things. Um, but in the context of pro wrestling, uh, I, I wanted to make the point that, um, you know, uh, violence or riots or property damage are all important tools of uh, a liberation movement. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, violence in the black abolitionist movement is, uh, in many regards, uh, what led to the outset of the Civil War. Um, and these things are sort of necessary to wake up, of course, the uh, white moderate liberal Um so, you know, when we see a lot of the, you know, a lot of people in the wrestling world, uh, in AEW and in other companies have all their takes and all their different, um, uh, you know, uh, stipulations on their takes or all their different categorizations. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a really good article on Slate about the value of violence, which is especially applicable in a, you know, fake sport that really glorifies and celebrates violence and uh, it's sort of... Uh, cathartic and uh, 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 representational uses. Yeah, and it's something that I know, especially with the recent events in Louisville, have really hit home for AB in a lot of ways. In South Carolina, there's been a really tragic and offensive history of police violence towards African Americans and minorities. So it's something that I think that it's there are a lot of tough conversations that need to be had with, especially with people's loved ones and people of influence to understand the importance of Black Lives Matter and the dismantlement of the carceral state. I mean, it's one of the things that South Carolina still comes to terms with the shootings in Charleston over the last like five years. So seeing people out there who are protesting I, I can only speak for myself, uh, give them full support, whatever actions that are needed to dismantle the police state are important. And it seems to be that I was just looking on Twitter as we were getting going. It seems to be there's conversations already in Minneapolis about dismantling the Minneapolis Police Department. So that was something that kind of came through today. So the, these actions are necessary and they've proven that, you know, the power of the people is is in the long term going to prevail over the power of supremacy and hatred. So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, of course, in Chicago area. So, of course, I mean, you can pick any state of the 50 and find police abuses. But, of course, we've had, uh, you know, untold numbers of uh, uh, black citizens, black people that have been, you know, killed by the police, had, you know, <laughs> Chicago police black sites where they went to perform torture on Americans. Um, so it's a universal issue. Uh, and you know, like I said, it has been a long week, uh, a long couple of weeks for everybody, but, uh, you know, we don't really want to be approaching the end of it cause we want to sustain this and, uh, get to the point where we're having real actual change and, you know, seeing people respond and seeing, you know, uh, the non extremely cowardly, uh, elected officials respond, 
uh, in ways like those uh, Minneapolis, I think, council, city council members that are saying, yeah, no, we're going to defund the police now is uh, encouraging and uh, hopefully uh, we can keep it up. Yeah, I, I could not agree more with that. I I hope everybody, I, I think we're seeing that the police are are being overwhelmed, that they're growing tired. They are running out of overtime. <laughs> and so uh, all we can do is keep it up. And it's not, this isn't a an election issue. Uh, I'm None of us are going to get on here and tell you that the way to fix this is by voting for Democrats in 2020. Uh, what we're going to do is keep putting pressure uh, to defund the police, as they're talking about in Minneapolis. And if that's a thing you've never thought about before, I highly suggest that you uh, think about it and look into it more than just writing that off as like, oh, we can't uh, just get rid of the police. Uh, I think uh, you'll be surprised if you read up on police abolition, um, how how much sense it makes when you really get down to it in a way to, to run a, a society that actually works for its citizens, especially uh, for black people. Yeah. And something also worth looking into that was very eye-opening for me a couple of years ago when I had my a lot of my political realizations was looking into how the military funding and military equipment gets purchased by police for no reason whatsoever. And I know that the city of Los Angeles has a $1.8 billion uh, budget. And some of that goes to like buying military vehicles that are supposed to be used in Afghanistan that are supposed to avoid IEDs, Abrams tanks, helicopters, like Blackhawk helicopters. So that there is a lot that you can find out. And, you know, ultimately, if you're someone who pays taxes in America, you should be aware of like what happens and how much of a benefit it be to society with defunding the police. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, uh, police use tear gas, which is, uh, you know, meant to be banned in war. Uh, the police have, in many cases, better military equipment than our own military did in the Iraq war and shit. Um, you know, this was always a pet peeve of mine. Is that like, I would get issues of popular science or whatever delivered, you know, back in the day, remember they would just give out freak magazines all the time, like in college and shit. And just every fucking cover story would be a new, uh, you know, basically riot control method. Like, Oh, check out this amazing new technology for beaming 60,000 decibels into a crowd of a thousand people. What an amazing achievement. It's like, this is just, oh, yeah, this is what a neat little tool for fascism. So um, that's an aside. But uh, yeah, you know, at, at the very least, uh, people should have an understanding of like, oh, you know, maybe we don't uh, fund the military to the point where they're motivated to get, you know, uh, hundreds of dollars an hour for overtime and they don't have the newest technology for, uh, you know, beating the people they're meant to serve and protect uh, most efficiently as possible. Like maybe they could just like, uh, you know, be uh, uh, a significantly less uh, 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 outfitted and motivated force in that way. Uh, you know, uh, if if you're in not understanding to this point the uh, aims of abolishing them altogether. Yeah, I mean, especially in light of the COVID nineteen pandemic, we've all uh, been going through. We think about the things we haven't been able to spend money on, and uh, there are just huge line items. Uh, for the police so we could use that money for things that actually help people. So we swore we wouldn't talk about that forever, and yet we did. Uh, but I think we're all passionate about it. It's something that's important. And we wanted to make sure that, I mean, I'm not sure it matters if uh, if our wrestling, our silly wrestling podcast talks about these issues, but by God, uh, we're not going to be silent. People listen to this. So 
We just want everyone to know where we stand and encourage everyone who's with us to, to keep up the fight. And uh, let's beat these bastards. Amen. There will be some links in the show notes if you're someone who's looking to learn more about this and hopefully contribute to the efforts. Yeah, and uh, as you mentioned, there was a, a little uh, Black Lives Matter message at the beginning of AEW, which is like, oh, you know, brands are trying to be woke, all the woke brands. And this has been, of course, a canard about AEW ever since the outset. Um, I, and I don't, this is not a conversation we need to have, but it's kind of like, you know, I'd rather have the brands pretend to be woke than the alternative, which is where they just out, out embrace out and out fascism, uh, you know, which is like also an opportunity. And, you know, you see the, the alt-right brands that have done that to their economic benefit. So it's like, I'm not going to push back too hard on uh, them doing little messages because it's better than the alternative. I mean, it's good to see when you turn on your TV to watch wrestling and maybe, you know, you're not thinking about this for them to literally put black lives matter on the screen. I think it's important. It doesn't wash away anything else they might do or say, or anyone else involved in the promotion might do or say, but it is, you know, there's always goofs about representation is so important. And I, I get the the jokes, but it is important for imagine, you know, a uh, a black wrestling fan turning this TV show on. And if they hadn't said anything, how that would feel uh, comparatively. So, yeah, I agree. Nate, it's, I guess the problem is when we kind of wrap ourselves in, in brand wokeness in a way that leads us to ignore the actual uh, problems that are bubbling up, you know, like yes. you'll see on, on Twitter, it'll be like, Oh, let's all buy fucking crest toothpaste because they said uh, the police are bad. You know, it's like, well, right. no, that's not the point. Right. It's like, yeah. Yeah. The po Pokemon donated $250,000 to black lives matter. So uh, now this news story can be over and you know, all the police departments can pledge to adopt the eight rules for, we promise not to kill you or we'll yell at you before we kill you. Um, yeah, for sure. That's an uh, uh, seems like an easy out or an easy oasis to accept the middling, uh, mediocre thing that really achieves nothing and saying changes nothing rather than pushing for real actual change, which, you know, is also the larger conversation about voting and and Democrats and Democratic mayors of all these blue cities. But, yeah, absolutely. So. At least, uh, you know, they did something, so we'll take that, but it's not going to make us. I don't think we've been. I've thought we'll about be, this a lot today. We're going to be. We'll, we'll be maybe eight percent nicer to to yes. Tony Khan because he uh, did a funny thing and banned the Hogan's. From all <laughs> yes, uh, but I was nicer, but we're still going to bury his uh, booking of women. Yes, but I was thinking about this today. Of like, there is the the canard about AW being the woke promotion. I feel like we have pushed back against that since the beginning of this show. I was looking back at <laughs> notes as I was preparing for our last Patreon episode, and on the first episode, we we're like we understand these are millionaires and billionaires and their goal is not to increase uh, worker power, uh, you know, regardless of what they said. So uh, I don't know. I just, I hope that we haven't, I contributed to that. I don't think we have. And I, I hope I've always viewed our role building on, uh, you know, our old podcast with me and Aaron Taub. I've always viewed our role to kind of be uh, oppositional when necessary. And yeah. I, hope, I hope we do that. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things that the more that this company has gone on, how clear it's been that unless you're someone that's just trying to argue and score points on Twitter, it's pretty clear how this company was formed. And it was formed by 
billionaires and millionaires, and they found wrestlers that were looking to do the same thing. And some of those wrestlers are millionaires themselves. So thinking that this is some woke leftist wrestling promotion, that's never been my thing. And it's become as incredibly clear for me as being someone who has done media, done media and done like press conferences. It's not. And it's important for us to be adversarial when we need to be and not necessarily and be willing to criticize and call things out there. I think that's important, important role for us. Yeah, um, and, and they're really the the beneficiary in a lot of ways because you know if we look at the spectrum of major American wrestling promotions, they are the woke option as compared to the largest individual donors for the Trump uh, Foundation or whatever. So you know it's sort of a uh, a game of expectations as far as lesson goes. But this is, and I've been meaning to talk to you guys about this. This is why I think we should probably transition the show to just being about Choco Pro. Because that is a uh, you know very woke organization in itself. Wait, fuck, just forgot the Antonio Honda thing. Never mind. Let's move on. <laughs> yes, I think uh, we'll we'll come up with with some way to go. I'm sure we always uh, move well when needed. Uh, but it's time for us to talk about AW. Did I say something funny there, Nick? <laughs> Was that? Uh, I don't know what you meant there. Started, you, you were you were putting over your own segues, but with the, your fourth <laughs> segue in a while. No, I, I wasn't. I was putting over, um, you know, Aaron and I, I think, got out on Evolve at the right time. And we moved on to this. And, you know, I think if necessary, we would all oh. move on to something else. Okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, that was, I did not understand that uh, you specific, You actually meant with my joke about Choco Pro moving on to another promotion. But okay, we're going to follow now. We need to work on our literalism, guys. <laughs> Sorry. I occasionally uh, speak in riddles, I, I suppose. I apologize. Let's do the stuff we normally do on this show. And we'll start, as always, with Elite or Delete. Delete! Elite! Delete! Elite! Now, it is true that I always start with Nate on this segment. Wait a minute. Uh, the point, the, I don't know, I just like to create um, something that's comfortable for our listeners, you know? And usually Nate says something that I disagree with, so we can really, we can just go at it from, like, the beginning. So it's always fun. So... If you are new to the show, the idea is we say what we liked and didn't like from this week's episode. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a very high level concept for this game. So, Nate, hit us with your elite pick of the week. All right. Uh, my favorite thing on this show, my elite thing, uh, was one match and one segment in particular. Uh, I am, I'm going to omit uh, Chris Jericho from this because he was the guy who most showed his ass of the AEW roster, I feel like. So I'm going to say my elite pick is just Colt Cabana. thought the Colt Cabana match on this program was uh, just the best old school, you know, tell a story kind of pro wrestling match you can get. He has really carved out a spot where his matches communicate the level that he is on the card better than anybody else's, I feel like. You know, he gets well-earned wins over you know, other legitimate competitors with his Superman pin and shit. But when he's up against the Chris Jericho, or he's up against the Lance Archer, like you see where he is, you know, he, he gets some offense in, but he's like pretty soundly defeated in the end. Um, also, as we I've talked about a dozen times, just has the perfect tone for this promotion. The little clip they set up of how this match came to be, which is that, you know, Colt was holding Jericho back last week. 
and then Jericho got mad and decided to blame him for it backstage. Colts just in, in incredulity, incredulity. I'm working out all my vocab words this week. Um, was just like the perfect level of like, you know, he he seems legitimately, you know, he he just toes the line very well of like he's a legitimate competitor and you know can kind of be a tough guy or can kind of be, you know, somebody you don't want to mess around with. But he's also like you know kind of jovial and uh, lovable in his Colt Cabana way. So. Um, yeah, I also just really got a thrill out of it, of course, because being in Chicago area and having seen Colt Cabana on like a million, uh, you know, local shows, so, like seeing Colt Cabana wrestle Chris Jericho one on one was exciting because, you know, in my time, I've seen like Colt Cabana with Buck Nasty or Eddie Machete or uh, uh, who else is a funny local guy that he's uh, the Iron Curtain of Benjamin Boone, Christian Faith and Joey Vincent Martini defeat Colt Cabana, Juntai Miller, and Marion Fontaine. Like, very, he was the guy who would, like, work, like, the downstate Illinois people up here while, you know, other Chicago guys were working like Zack Sabre Jr. at AEW. So it's just very funny to see him go from, you know, Colt Cabana tagging with the hooligans to, oh, Colt Cabana in primetime on TNT wrestling Chris Jericho. He's just a blast. Like, when I think about who's going to be, like, the ideal for a mid-carder, Colt Cabana gets being a mid-carder in 2020 more so than anyone else. Whenever things need to be serious, as you said, Nate, he gets serious. Whenever things don't need to be, he does not. And it's just something that he is the closest equivalent as a wrestler who lives in a real-life Muppet show. And I feel I get that through him throughout the – that's, like, his one big through line in the promotion is that he's the one – that would most likely be on the Muppet show. And I think he'd be pretty okay with that. And, you know, for what this was, I thought that his performance was exactly what I wanted to. We're getting to have like follow-up where now he's going to be going against Sammy Guevara next week. And, you know, he's usually someone that gets his wins on dark. You know, I have him ranked in the AEW dark championship rankings. I have talked to people to make sure of that. And it just was for what it was, this is exactly the kind of match that I want to see like Chris Jericho and Cole Cabana have in 2020. And I'm pretty happy about that. I really enjoyed the Superman pin into the, uh, into the, I'm not sure if it was the walls, walls but yeah, the line. Yeah. It was the walls, Jericho. I think, yeah, great reversal, you know, just the kind of thing where I never would have thought those spots would come together that way. But like in retrospect, Oh, it's perfect. Like his finisher into his finisher. How about it? It's, it's really cool. And I'm no, I'm okay with actually with saying this. It's really cool that dumb guys can be really smart about certain things, like particularly wrestling, like come up with just brilliant ideas in the ring. And then you uh, hear them talk and you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm not Colt might be like actually smart. So I'm just going to credit Colt for coming up with that reversal too. I don't know. College football guy. I mean, yeah, I don't know. He's like, he's, again, <laughs> I, I always put over like the tone. He like he should. He's like legitimately a, a pretty competent actor too. He should like yeah. be, in, oh. be in things. Yeah, yeah. He has got a sad card. He did all those Chicago Fire That's true. shows. And I mean, he's one the person that I would argue more so than even the Young Bucks was like there was the person who basically came up with independent wrestling financial model and innovations to it over the last. Oh decade. yeah, like yeah, and they they put him over for that too. Colts a smarty. Oh yeah, no, I've I've put him over on this show for all his. Uh, he's just like a. He's a delight. I, he is. I admire him. I admire the career that he's built. Uh, he would he would talk a lot before about how Bruiser Brody was such a big inspiration to him, and you know that was the idea of you didn't have to go to WWF to become a become a star, and uh, Colt has done it. He nailed it. So, 
Good for him. Stand out. Colt Cabana, Congo Kong, and the Wet Bandits of Dan Lawrence and Marcus Crane defeat Buck Nasty, Connor Braxton, and the Hooligans. There's a there's a standout AEW match to, to go look up. <laughs> All right, Mike, what's your elite pick? I mean, at this point, I feel like it's kind of rote for me to say this, but I think the Brit video and Brit's interactions with Big Swole post-match were probably some of the funniest things that they've done in a while. And I feel like I say that pretty consistently with Britt Baker. I thought that the way that they did like a whole like training video and rehab video with her at the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars facility was just great. I great use of you're in Jacksonville. You have this available. You should use this and pulling that out enough, enough of camp, which is something that I get really fixated on is when people just overload the camp and, and I hate intentional camp. This one was one that everyone can see how it's funny and it's kind of campy, but it's not completely breaking the uh the the lens of which everyone views wrestling and i mean the fact that after the match she had rebel back up her what is it called like her her special throne that she has her role model throne uh, uh it did have a name the rolls yeah. royce the rolls royce yes the rolls royce into the barrier and then and then biggs will threw a chair at her i thought that was great and i think it's good that you know that this is a company that has had a lot of difficulties with the women's division, but it seems like that with people that they have been able to have more consistently over the last few months, they've figured out how to at least use them in these roles. And I felt like that everyone who's, who was around that and, and that's book and that's bookending and not to steal from me, it'd be a really fun, big swole and not low rose match. So I thought like that, like this was a pretty successful period they had on the show. It was the thing I enjoyed most out of it. I really like uh, Rebel as being a regular character now and part of the the posse. That's very funny to me. I hope they upped her pay. That's all I really care about. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll, I'm going to delete one part of your elite pick, Mike, and that is Britt called her Rebel in the video. What <laughs> the fuck? Uh, yeah, yeah you, you know, that was the thing is like, you got to keep her continuity up. She you should do. never refer to her as Rebel. She should always call her Reba. Yeah, I agree. So I was a little bummed it's about character that. development. She's a role model and she can learn from her mistakes and better herself. I thought, I don't know where I read this, uh, you know, somewhere on Twitter, obviously, but she said <laughs> that she had, uh, Brett had talked to Jericho about this character, like Jericho had been helping her with the character. And he pointed out to her of like, you have to believe you're a role model. Like you can't just play it as a joke. And I think that's like, I mean, that's generally a great note for comedy. But I just, I've kind of been watching her for that of like, I'm interested to see the way she plays with that so that she just never realizes she's in on the joke. And I, I like that. My elite pick, uh, my, as Mike assumed, even though I didn't note it on the, on the run sheet, but yes, I'm going to stay on brand. I'm going to say the Nyla Rose and Big Swole match was my favorite part of the show. And the real reason for that is like expectations. I think on Light, our Dynamite preview show and uh, Nate's vlog recap show, I said that I expected this match was not going to be good because they had had a match before that was not good. And I just said that it concerns me when Nyla is the most polished person in the ring in a match, even though I think Nyla is very good. She just is better when she has someone who's more experienced than she is, which is pretty common in pro wrestling, I would say. So I was worried about it. And this match went on for like two segments. So it really had an opportunity to fall apart because uh, both of these folks just kind of need a little help sometimes in the ring. But instead, 
They blew my expectations out of the water, had a really fun little match. I would have preferred to see Swole win the match, but a fun little match, and they had an angle after it that is interesting. We get to see where Britt and Swole might go in the future, even though Britt is injured, but they could do something fun there. So all in all, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i with you. I, won, I would have liked to see Swole get the win. I do like the idea that Swole is slowly putting it together and is performing better and better against women in the division that she's had more issues with. And maybe that is eventually you'll, you will see Swole go on a streak. And I think like that could be one way or one reason for it. But, you know, this was a match that could have fallen apart. And it's something that I think both did a great job on. And I that, that like between the Jericho Cabana, Orange Cassie stuff going straight into the Britt Baker, uh, Big Swole, Nyla Rose, Reba stuff was like my favorite part of the show. Like just like those two blocks combined, like that was the best part of the show. Well, you both said it. So now I have to like make a point of disagreeing. Uh, Big Swole totally should not have won. Nyla just had the title, just had a war to, def- to defend the title that she ultimately lost. Uh, Big Swole, they're not ready to push yet, which is fine. Uh, but they should just continue to book the promotion where there's a hierarchy that exists of who is actually a better wrestler and a better competitor uh, than the next person. And Nyla, at this point, has been established as being a more dangerous wrestler than Big Swole, so she should just win the match. They should just hammer that home until everybody clearly understands that hierarchy. So it was good that she won, you know, rehabbed her a little bit after losing the title on the pay-per-view. Um, but, you know, establish, hey, she is still a threat and is still going to continue to be a player in the women's division. And I think that's the correct thing to do. I, th- I think it would probably hurt the division if, you know, Riho lost the belt and then, you know, through travel issues or whatever, basically became a non-factor in the promotion. And then Nyla lost the belt. And then she just goes on a, a losing streak and loses to Big Swole, who's basically totally not established in the promotion. That would, you know... I think expose the belt as being, oh, this doesn't mean anything. Anybody can just have this. It's just whoever we happen to hand it to this week. So good choice to make Nyla win. So, so, Nate, the, so the belt doesn't mean anything. That's the first issue. The division can't be hurt. It's bad already. Uh, my point is. So you should just continue to make, make it worse with nonsensical booking because there's no saving it? I think it does make sense because it's a perfect time for Nyla to lose because it can be easily forgotten. She can be rehabbed. And the, my idea for Swole winning is with the assumption that that would lead to a big push for her. She's one of the few people that's kind of being used at all now that now that she's back. And so I think it would be a, a good opportunity to uh, push her up the up that hierarchy. Yeah, I think just not no necessity to do that now. And I don't know that she's ready for them to do that now. I think she sort she sort of has to find her footing and and find her niche and and you know have the fans connect to her in some way. Uh, whether it be through her work or through her BTE bits or whatever it is. Uh, and then, you know, we'll have a clearer picture, I think, of when the time is right to really get behind her. Nate's just a big defender of the rankings because Nyla <laughs> is ranked number one and Swole is not ranked. I'm not a fan of the textual rankings, although I suppose theoretically I could be. I am a fan of a actual hierarchy of who is the better wrestler than who. I agree. I agree with that. Obviously, I've bitched about that a ton on this show. I just, I guess I, I'm in that mind space of what I talked about on uh, the Patreon show, which is like, okay, you're not going to give a lot of attention to this division. Clearly, you've decided that you're going to get one to two segments per show. 
And that's probably never going to change. So you're also not going to increase the um, the roster, really. We're kind of, we got who we got. So you want to deal with that and use it in a productive way. You have to really hone in on a handful of people and just use them over and over and let them do the best that they can with just that handful of people. And so right now you really only have, I mean, with Riho gone, you really only have Nyla, Sheeta, and Britt. Uh, and you got Penelope kind of as a, as another person who's there. And that's really it. That's the whole division. So at some point you have to bring more people into the fold. And I think uh, giving, I mean, yeah, maybe you don't want her to beat Nyla, but I think giving Swole some wins on TV and building her up is a good way to make the division reasonably good within the parameters that the promotion is allowing it to exist. Uh, Bad things, things that you hated, that you want to delete. Nate, let's hear it. All right. Uh, So I I clearly put him over, everybody really, everybody on the planet put him over too much for his continued great performances on AEW and on the the pay-per-view. Got to delete Sammy Guevara from this episode. Wow. Singing Judas during Chris Jericho's entrance, hammering that bit into the ground so it's no longer funny, uh, doing a very poor job of it where he, I don't know, maybe he couldn't hear the music when he was coming out. But he was obviously a beat behind when he, uh, you know, was coming through the entrance tunnel. Was like a full beat behind the actual music that was being played. And then when he got out, um, you know, he 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 didn't remember the words, which is like fine if you're gonna do the bit as a bit. But um, you know, then he just like <laughs> jumped ahead in the song and started making shit up as well. Um, wasn't funny. Uh, he was on his little leg wheelie scooter thing. Uh, which I guess is, you know, it's good. Maybe that they're selling the damage from the stadium stampede, but a little too hammy. Um, yeah, it, it didn't land at all. They've already done it to better effect, and now they just did it again because they didn't have anything else to do, and it was worse. Um, yeah, this is uh, really what I was complaining about, the inner circle just being clowns, basically. Um, and, yeah, you know, uh, in, in the past week here, there's been a lot of – basically everywhere you look on social media is just like, uh, you know, police either being uh, reprehensible, violent uh, monsters or being just absolute foolish clowns showing their ass and getting uh, embarrassing themselves and humiliating themselves. Uh, and that's kind of where the inner circle is right now. They're like very violent clowns, uh, but really leaning more toward clown than violent. I guess to, to push back a little bit, I don't think that this is if it's like this performance tonight or last night, yeah, Sammy just kind of was there. But it, to me, it felt like, oh, we don't have anything in the immediate offering for Sammy. Let's have him sell this and just joke around. He could have just been off the show because he took a 30-foot one-winged angel. Like, they could have just been like, he's not on the show. We don't have to ask about him. Instead, is he just, like, came out and, like, did a comedy bit and was like, oh, he's clearly fine. But, I mean, like, he's the one that's the most directly connected to Jericho. Like he's been out for almost every single Jericho match. It's yeah, him and Hager. They had Hager so. out there already. Hager was already there to get involved in the match. This they 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 added Sammy. They're gilding the lily. Thought the bit would be really funny. It wasn't funny. It was bad. Well, what about Sammy seeing now Matt Hardy and Team Extreme Mode and saying we're cool now and just Sammy's expression there? Because I thought that was pretty funny. Just like him going like, "Really? Okay." I thought that was great. That was good in that it. You know, puts a question mark in your mind of, oh, I wonder if that's going somewhere. You know, oh, 
that's interesting. Matt Hardy respects Sammy. You know, obviously he's taking private party under his wing. Does that mean, you know, we're going to see something like that in the future with, with Hardy and Sammy? That was interesting to me. Uh, but, you know, you could just you could just do that next week. You could just do that on BTE. You know, not a necessary part of the show by any means. I enjoyed the singing. That's my take. Mike? Yeah, uh, the tag team match sucked. <laughs> the tag team title match was just... For so, for like a couple months, we got a, the, the British Basement Boys as a good way of figuring out what to do with Kip Sabian when he's not in his best role, which is to be Penelope Ford's manager. And it was kind of fun. And we had a couple of fun matches. The match against Best Friends where they had that street fight was a fun match. And Jimmy Havoc, I feel like, has found a lot better role for himself here. But this match was just rolling it all the way back to where Kip Sabian has having long matches for the sake of long matches, especially against a team that was came into this like ranked fourth. Like they won a match against SCU to get the title match. And yes, you can make the argument that Hangman and Page should have been like, maybe they're selling a little bit from the whole entire same stampede. But then you have the thing of Penelope for that, that just completely elongated the match and just was long and necessary. And I never need to see it again. And it kind of got started the, the episode out on a bad foot with me that it took a while for it to get back onto a good path. It just, that match was unnecessary. I guess they booked themselves into having to do this title match it has been a while since Paige and Omega had a title defense. And I mean, their next title defense is next month. So they probably need to get it in, but this match wasn't it. Yeah. I don't disagree with you. I, it, it didn't really do a lot for me. I can see in an alternate universe where this match happens in front of a crowd, the crowd being super hot because it's like, Oh, we're seeing a hangman page and Kenny Omega work rate match. And they're pulling out all the stops and doing all these big moves and big sequences and the crowd really getting into that, especially, you know, as kickouts started happening and shit. Like, I'm pretty sure this would have gotten super over in front of like a normal AEW crowd. But without that, it just felt like, oh, you know, uh, you know, Kenny wants to go have a really good match. So this is going to be a really good match, regardless of whether that's really necessary or appropriate. You know, I say a really good match. And by that, I mean, uh, you know, a long match with a lot of action and, you know, uh, you know, basically a work rate. I'm using work rate as like a, uh, uh, an epithet here. So yeah, I, I totally see what you mean. Yeah. I mean, I agree. They should have kicked their ass in like six, seven minutes. It should have been over, but yeah, Kenny's not going to do that. And Kenny has still enough power in this company that he can do 20 minute matches with whoever on every show. So I, I but why, but why I does that have to be a Kip Sabian? Cause I think most people really enjoy it or most AEW fans really enjoy it. You know, Certainly there was all the, oh, Kenny gave the job or too much discourse. But those are, uh, you know, as we discussed, like bad faith critics coming in from the outside. Sure. I do think most AEW fans are getting what they want to when they see like, oh, a really good Kenny Omega match is opening the show. Like, so I can't really say he's wrong. Just not for me. I was going to say, I think that's true, but I don't feel any responsibility to come on this show and and base my perspectives on like, what your average AEW fan thinks or might think about something. I pretty much just like, I thought it sucked. So I'm going to say, I think it sucked. <laughs> Those are going to be my takes. Yeah. And I, I, I get your point about in front of a crowd, like saying that probably would have got better reaction, but the world we're in, I'm not going to grade this match on a curve because of that. It just, it like the thing that that's still at the end of the day is why do they think Kip Sabian need to have 
so many long matches. Like I like did looked at this at one point. Like he had like two matches below 12 minutes length. Other than Kenny and it's a title match, this just like further just drilled in that into my brain that they just like kept saving to have long boring matches. So all right, it's my turn. I have been accused of being impatient with things and turning on things quickly. I would like to support that narrative <laughs> by deleting the Cody Rhodes open challenge. I'm I'm through with it after one week. Uh, I think it's going to be really bad. It's like it's it's an excuse for Cody to just do the most masturbatory shit every week on television. When, he, when he started bleeding, that was a big red flag to me. Yes, that's terrifying. Like, what are we going to do? That was so much week? blood, too. <laughs> and that's the shit he's going to do, like, yeah. every week. And uh, it's just, it's like John Cena did, like, his open challenge was masturbatory, but in a way of, like, doing stuff that he doesn't normally do. It was novel because it was a new aspect to him. Right. That, that was fun. But this is going to be, like, I think... I know Mike and I have talked about this, that it's like a, this AW is like an EFED come to life. You know, it's like Tony and Cody's EFED. And this really feels like Cody just living out his fantasies on, on TV every week, which I guess he has the ability to do that. So, you know, more power to him. I think Nate's <laughs> earlier take is probably also true about this, that a lot of fans will enjoy these Cody matches. So good for them. But I just think by like week three, this is just going to become uh something that i really do not look forward to well like the thing is is that they made a big point of that they didn't want to have this as like a mid-card quote-unquote title and like they pulled cody from the rankings because now he's a champion and they wanted to use like the same rankings then why are we having jungle boy and mark quinn as your first two title opponents and well what it really feels like is cody's like oh we'll make this like a 1b no you're you're, you're reinventing the tv title you have the red strap, like the classic red strap on the NWA TV title. You're having the match every week. You, you, you have a belt with Ted Turner's mansion on it. Like you are just reenacting your, your dreams as a kid. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I've, I feel like that I came around with Cody last year, especially seeing him live and seeing the crowd respond. So I'm like, yeah, you know what? When you're like fully invested in this, it works. But, you know, if we're just going to have intense Cody matches, and not necessarily like ones that have any sort of story attached to them, which is, I think is the big investment point for Cody Rhodes. I think that's going to be a problem with this title. And I thought that jungle boy in this match, this was the kind of match jungle boy should be having. And it's a match you can go back to. And when you like start doing builds for like jungle boy, getting pushed up the card in a couple of years, you could start like with like the Jericho challenge and then like him, his first challenge of a singles belt. And you'd be able to like put this together in a probably a pretty good highlight package. So I get it for that, but just, you, you know, like week three, like if they announce for the uh, the next uh, taping after this one, if they're like, okay, so we have Mark Wynn next week. If it ends up being, I don't know, Kip Sabian, just because I'm just, <laughs> just <laughs> because, <laughs> am I wrong? No, no. So like, I, I think those are valid points, but I do think that if like Jungle Boy, this match was what it should have been and is an important uh, milestone in his career. Yeah, the you know the match was like pretty good, I guess. Um, but you're totally right that you know a lot of what Cody trades in is like story stuff and having that investment behind all of his matches, and they're not just 
matches that stand alone for the sake of having a good match. And that appears to be what he's going for. And I've said it a million times, they have a managing expectations problem in this company because he came out and said, I'm going to cut a path like nobody's ever done before. I'm going to have, you know, the best matches follow me because, you know, I'm going to be at the top of my game and blow everything away with this open challenge for however long. And he's not going to do that. (laughs) Like, uh, you know, I wish him all the best. It'd be awesome if he did. But we're, you know, we're going to have a pretty flat match in the near future. And then it's going to be like, okay, uh, well, this is a disappointment. And now I, you know, where do we go from here? I don't know. Just asking for trouble. Yeah. And, and the expectations game, it's not just that. He also really strongly suggested it was going to be like outsiders and names you're going to be excited to see. And I, so I was like, okay. I, the Jungle Boy thing, fine. You built that up. That's okay. But then it's like, okay, Mark Quinn for a week two. Like, that's kind of a bizarre pairing that's like interesting to me. But the Cody thing, really, only if you think about his AW run, it's only worked in that he only has about one match per month or so. And so now if he does the same match over and over, I think that's going to be uh, tough for him to do. And I'd put him over for recognizing that he's not a work rate guy and finding something that worked, a formula that worked for what he wanted to do. But it's less exciting, A, as Mike's been saying, when there's no crowd, and B, when you have to see it every week. All right, that's Elite or Delete. We'll get into the ratings this week, which AW saw a decent little tumble, although they're still above where they'd been a few weeks before that, down from 827 to 730,000, fourth to 27th in the demo, down from a 0.32 to a 0.29. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value a complete view of all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, 
Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. NXT was uh, right behind them in total viewers, 715,000, but only a 0.2 in the demo. So still substantially behind. Yeah, and I I think something that's worth kind of keeping in mind here, two things. First off, as one would, would guess with, uh, the events in America, especially cable news has returned to dominating the uh, top 25, eight out of the top 10, which is more than even like the COVID outbreak were new station were new shows. And then 20 out of the top 25. So AEW in reality was like the number four ranked non-news program on that, which would be in line with what they were doing before. So that is something worth noting. And, Looking over like their week two after a pay per view, like how they've done, because you usually will have like the big go home show and then the uh, backlash show. Like the second week is usually where it kind of like levels out from there. Not as bad as it was for how things were after Revolution or Full Gear. So I thought that was kind of interesting to note. And one thing that, that they were doing really strong with uh, with uh, certain demographics, and it seems to be that some of the things, especially some of the Tyson stuff, might have resonated. So I think that's something worth worth keeping an eye on. Uh, people, the one demographic they they went up in is people aged eighteen to thirty four. We've said it a million times, but AEW viewers check out when something else big is going on, and NXT viewers do not. And we saw that play out again. As far as double or nothing, the buy numbers. We, we still don't really have a firm number. Uh, Dave Meltzer reported in The Observer that BR Live and Fight numbers were uh, up. They look to be up about 10 to 15% from the Revolution show. That would track to be the second highest number in company history behind only the first Devil or Nothing at about 100 to 110,000. I feel like that number is already being revised down from like some of the early reports that we heard. Uh, but it does seem like the number is going to come in somewhere around uh, 100,000 viewers, which I think will be much higher than certainly any of us anticipated. Uh, 115 and 120 is what Dave Meltzer is anticipating. As of last week, we won't know the full we- the full numbers and for like months. Like we still don't know full numbers on, on like full gear. Oh, no, but- I was just basing that. I assume you pasted this from The Observer, which just yes. says, I've, as I read it, and it's hard to read Dave sometimes, so. Yes, if there's some Dave incongruities here yeah uh okay i see what you're saying but yeah but at one point in this he says at about 100 to 110 then later he says 115 to 120 so who fucking knows it it does give you an indication that cable buys are not as much of an indication anymore it seems like that it that they have made the move that at least with viewers over to streaming at a higher rate than i would expect All, all i want to say is based on very anecdotal evidence i would love to find out how much the fight numbers are up yeah, no, that'll be real interesting. 
<laughs> just would be curious if a lot of people have started buying it on fight. And, and for the record, I was closest. Well, we don't have a real number yet. Mark. Okay. Let's, okay. Let's calm down. Let's calm let's down. Talk. I know that you were particularly close, though. I was saying that uh, upwards, like one person less wrong than the rest of us, right? Yeah, I mean, price of right rules. I'm going to the. I'm going to the show <laughs> showdown, baby. Y'all are staying on the stage. I'm gonna go play some plinko. <laughs> I, I think. You just, I mean, we were at a disadvantage because you got to pick your number last. That's just exploiting the rules to your advantage. I, you know, I I created my number independently. Yeah, I, I tried to, well, I had two things going on in my mind. One, I wanted to be different from Mike and Nate, of course. Two, there was a, a, a notable podcast personality putting out a certain number, and I could not come up with the same take. So I had to come up with my own take. And, uh, you know, it looks like my desire to be different uh, really hurt me here. Folks, if you're wondering, most of Aaron's takes uh, are birthed from a desire to disagree with Joe Lanza. I don't know if that's <laughs> come across clearly to you guys yet, but that's the root of almost all of his opinions. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I feel like we are the proxies to be like this for people, for someone who are not. This is well. I spend a lot of time in the VOW Slack while I'm uh, slacking off from working, and I just build up uh, anger at Joe's takes. And sometimes I just tell him in there you know how much i disagree actually most of the time i do i you all would be shocked to know i rarely keep things inside of uh, how i feel about takes so uh but sometimes i just you know save them for the show all right so we can get into the rundown of the show from this week i believe it was week 35 of dynamite uh we got after the the intro uh with the black lives matter message we got a video recapping what happened last week and then the tag match that we talked about, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page defeating Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc, Havoc to retain the tag titles. Uh, Page pinned Sabian after the last call. And then after the match, we pan out to FTR sitting by themselves and uh, standing then and looking vaguely interested. The, uh, the tension of like Kenny Omega as a wrestler is he does this goofy thing where if he's about to receive a remove from somebody off the top rope, he's like, oh, you know, gesticulating wildly and like reaching up at them like, oh, I have to get up. I have to get up. And it looks like super goofy all the time. Uh, that's like, you know, half the Kenny Omega story. And the other half is like Kip Sabian does a top rope stomp on him. And it looks like as good as any top rope stomp you'll ever see. Like half the time those moves look like garbage, but like Kenny takes it in a matter that looks like, oh, that looks like a fucking hurt. So that's that's Kenny Omega summarized. I remember reading this interview with Kenny once and it like, I can never forget it because he talked about how when he's in the ring, he always has to sell things very seriously and very sincerely because he played junior hockey and his junior hockey friends know what it's like to be hurt. So if they saw him acting too silly, they would know that he was kind of overdoing it. So, so he's afraid that his friends from when he, he was like 12 to 14 would be like, no, Kenny, that's not how you were like when you like had a cramp uh, when we were playing hockey. And yes, I, I think so. But I also think it's funny because like, does anyone like overdo things more than Kenny Omega? And yet he's talking about, I only, I do a serious sports sell actually. Well, I, I actually remember this interview and he was, I think specifically responding to 
the haters who were like, oh, you know, they Okada worked over Kenny's leg for however long, and then Kenny didn't spend the rest of his match limping around on it. Um, and I don't think he was wrong because he was he was doing other things to sell, like he was hitting himself in the leg to like try and loosen it up or whatever. And I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Like, like that does kind of seem like a different perspective on selling that's informed by something else he's done or watched rather than like, here's what you have to do in pro wrestling to sell a hurt leg. Uh, I mean, I don't really have an opinion on that because I haven't watched the match recently and I have a baby brain that forgets things very quickly. Um, but I do always think about Kenny talking about how serious that he needs to, <laughs> needs to sell things. I just think it's very funny. After that, we got dates for Fighter Fest. Now, there was some really bad uh, editing. Yeah, yeah. Show. And frankly, come on. All right. So we get, so they announced Fighter Fest. It's going to be on the July 1 and July 8 Dynamite shows, the normal Dynamites, but it's going to be Fighter Fest. So there's two issues on this show. <laughs> One, where, so Jim Ross, I believe, said, still said it's going to be sometime this summer while the graphic said July 1, July 8. Then the right. graphic said 10 p.m., even though it's going to be at 8 p.m. And then I think at some point they said Phoenix was going to be the next open challenger, but it's actually going to be Mark Quinn. And Tony Khan goes on Twitter and is like, oh, you know, it was just a tough week and we missed those. It's like, come the fuck on, buddy. This is national television. You're a, supposed to be a big time promotion. I just uh, not impressed. I, I, you know, I'll excuse like the audio of Jim Ross doesn't exactly match up on the graphic, but. How does it ever happen that you get the time of your weekly show wrong in such a dramatic manner? That why would never it, happen. Why would it have ever said 10 p.m.? Who would have put yeah, that on the graphic? That's insane. That's like that was like a wild half hour trying to figure out what was going on with that. Yeah, I was like, wait, they're gonna do dynamite and then do fighter fest after it? Four hour show. <laughs> yeah. I am anyway. I'm really I'm really getting intrigued by the idea of them doing more fire fest parodies on this show because <laughs> it's so in the moment. <laughs> Like they really brought the Firefest parody pay per view back and made it a two week television event, which is yeah, super why does it funny. need to be two weeks? Because they should, one... they should change it every year, so it's just a different Netflix parody. So this should just be the Tiger King show now. I mean, <laughs> Tiger Fest, Tiger Fest, it fits perfectly. Tigerfest. You can get Carol Baskin; she's in Florida. Come on, I, I'm you just could do it at the the thing. I've never watched Tiger King. Yeah, you put at the Big Cat Rescue. Yeah, she just won it, I understand, from... Oh, no, that's a different Big Cat Rescue. Uh, yeah, okay. she, won the, she won Joe Exotic's Oklahoma. They should uh, They Oklahoma. should bring her out, present her with a belt as the Big Cat champion, which is also Mike Spears' uh, favorite champion. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just do a whole bit for Tiger Fist. I mean, yeah. I am a member of the championship committee now. <laughs> That's true. You can start the Big Cat Championship. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever has uh, it must be called Big Cat at all times. I don't know. There, I don't think there's been a, a Netflix show in the interim that's been, uh, you know, a bigger deal. So I think we have to stick with Tiger Fest for the time being. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's. I mean, people are still talking about it, so I, I think that works. God, Thanks. that was the beginning of quarantine. Remember that? <sighs> yes. Six years ago at this point. <laughs> Next, there was a video with Tully Blanchard and Sean Spears. They started out with a shortened version of the video that they posted on their socials, which that's one I would have liked to have seen all of it. Great promo from Tully. Basically, just telling Sean Spears that he sucks. And if he doesn't get his shit together, then Tully's uh, going to abandon him, I suppose. 
Then we see them in a vehicle together. Tully says, the search for Spears is over with. He has the missing piece. And it's a uh, box containing a black fingerless glove. And AW tweeted later that this was intended to tie him to former wrestlers like Ted DiBiase, Black Jack Mulligan, and Barry Windham. I don't get it. <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, the Tully promo was great. Yeah. Glad that he also hated the the comedy segment on the pay-per-view. Um, you know, very silly. I don't know. You know, kind of like, you know, reeks of like a Chikara angle. Like, oh, he got the magical black glove. And now he's got the key. Very I, odd. I think like I'm the guy who's supposed to defend this as like the Southern territory thing that they're doing here. But honestly, I think that there's like a good way that Tony and Cody sometimes bring in their love for Southern territory wrestling and, and incorporate it into this promotion. I think they did it uh, on this episode actually in a lot of ways, but then they do shit like this that I just think is dumb and it, plays only to their the efed thing of like oh i really loved these guys when i was a kid even though these weren't major players ever you know not in a way that like wrestling fans today you know we talk about rick flair who was in these companies or even art anderson but we don't really talk much about blackjack mulligan yeah no that, that that's like the name i'm like okay blackjack mulligan yeah uh, i mean i love barry Wyndham, one of my yeah. favorite wrestlers of all time but well, what is this supposed to evoke yeah, my thing is, were these guys famous for the glove? I don't know. You know, most of my uh, familiarity with Blackjack Mulligan and Barry Windham was like Dave talking about them, you know? He never talks about their famous glove. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think this is... It's not like... I mean, this would be dumb too, but it's not like they're giving him the big uh, blue robe, you know, to, to wear out to the ring. Something that, like, all wrestling fans would recognize. And it's not like they did... You could get away with something like this if you do a video explaining the importance. You know, you see, which they can't get the footage, obviously. But if you could. Yeah. But you can't. So why do this? It, it's also something that it's like, what is this glove supposed to mean? Like, is this supposed to be like a special glove that is a loaded glove that he's going to sock them in the face with? Like, is that supposed to be a, a big thing? Like, you have to do something like this. Because when I looked at this, I immediately thought like, oh, this is like the dumb Lucha Underground thing where they gave Brian Cage a gauntlet that he killed people with. Okay, so you can't get the footage. It's almost like you could have Tully Blanchard, who's a great talker, right. tell the story of the glove before yeah. you give it to him. If that's what he wants, I wouldn't have done the angle at all. But if you're going to do it, you should have Tully... Uh, give us some reason to think it's important. So I do. I do appreciate if they're using this to signify a turn in the character, then that's an effective use of aesthetics, right? It's like, okay, this was Sean Spears before. Now we're going to have like a break here and establish that there is a break. And now we can do something else with the character. And this is what you see to see that he has changed. Like that's an, that's a storytelling device. Um, but I, I, you know, but whether they can follow through with that and like, I, don't know that we're going to see super badass Sean Spears now. That seems kind of unlikely, but I can see the intent of it at least. Next up, Brian Cage defeated the captain, Sean Dean, with the drill claw. This After was, the, uh, match, the, the part where he almost dropped the dude, set him up for the drill claw, and then just like through pure strength, kept him up and then still dropped him on his head was pretty impressive. <laughs> After the match, we got a Taz promo. He's hyping up uh, the Brian Cage and Moxley match, John Moxley match for the AW World Championship. 
at Fighter Fest. Taz is pissed that when he was talking about Brian Cage on commentary, John Moxley had the audacity to snicker. Taz says they don't play games. It's not a joke to us. You're going to get your head right or you're going to get your head taken off at Fighter Fest. Uh, John Moxley comes out and he says, uh, the reason I'm smiling now, the reason I was smiling last week is because the thought of stepping in the ring with Brian Cage with that level of intensity and going to war makes me happy. It's why I'm in the business. But he wanted to be clear that he thinks Cage is impressive and seems to be indestructible. And while he knows he is indest- he is destructible, he can be beat, uh, that would take Brian Cage all night long. And even if Brian Cage is a different thing entirely than anything else in pro wrestling, so is Moxley. And especially when you're trying to take his championship. So he tells Cage he's going to find out at Fighter Fest that he's in over his head, swimming with a different breed of shark. So really like Taz as a manager guy. He's uh, got all these pat lines for Cage now. Uh, he has to say that Cage is a machine about six times. Uh, has to put over his, you know, survive if he lets you line. Talk about the path of Cage. He's, I think he's trying to start something with Wardlow just in terms of how many different nicknames a guy can have. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of feel like Moxley lost his place in the promo a little bit. I don't know. He just repeated himself one time too many or something. Um, but, you know, all, all things considered, pretty good little heat-up segment. Uh, I kind of want him to go back and forth, though, when you have Taz and Moxley out there. Like, and, you know, they just kind of took turns and would like to see what happens when they can actually uh, 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 have a more spirited argument or whatever on the mic. Yeah, we want to see interplay versus monologuing at each other. And that's what it kind of felt like with me. But Taz has been, again, excellent in this role. I mean, he's been... I feel like that they've already kind of done in two weeks more than they've, it felt like they were doing for uh, Brody Lee. And I feel like that that's something that I'm kind of up on. I liked Moxley's side of the promo. It did kind of seem like that. It, I've been watching a lot of 2009, 2010 John Moxley lately. And one of the things that I've been kind of keeping an eye on is how his promos hold up from like that. I mean, because especially 2010 to 2020, that's a, some promos that you would say in 2010 that would be super over that just cannot be said in 2020. And he's actually pretty like was pretty much like on the level there. And I like the idea of him saying like he's like a different kind of beast and you can't, and, and he's making a thing of like, Oh, cage, you're indestructible or you're, but you have to be able to survive with me. And I think that's something that plays on the best aspects of John Moxley and his ring style. So I like this a whole lot. Yeah. What I really liked about this was Moxley, the whole promo, he's putting over Brian Cage. And he's helping to establish how much of a machine Brian Cage is. And I think that's so important for babyface promos and something that the WWE went completely away from. So that is one of the parts of like classic American wrestling that they've brought into this promotion that I think is really useful and helpful. I enjoyed that. I agree with Nate that I think Mox kind of got lost in the promo. I think, frankly, his promos haven't been great of late. I think uh, he's not been on top of his game. I'm not sure why that is, but there's a lot going on. So, you know, whatever. But I I am interested to see this build up over the next month. But I am also concerned that, like, it's not a pattern yet, but you bring in Brody Lee, he destroys everyone in his path, and then he loses to Mox. You bring in Brian Cage. I'm sure he's just going to do uh, squash matches until Fighter Fest, and then he's going to lose to Mox. 
So I'm worried about the long-term view uh, with both of those guys and generally with how they're going to build up people for title challenges. Speaking of someone else who beat everyone and then lost their title challenge. Hmm. So maybe it is a pattern. I take back what I said before. Lance Archer, he's beating up some guys outside. Uh, Alex Marvez, as I recall, comes up to him. And Archer says, one loss isn't going to stop him. He's here to be a monster. We got the monster in the machine in this promotion. Uh, and he says, when I say everybody dies, I mean everybody dies. So they let Lance Archer talk a little bit instead of Jake here. Yeah, this was uh, awesome because uh, Lance Archer was under some random highway or by some sort of, uh, I don't know, retain, retaining pond or something and found a luchador out there and just decided he was going to brutalize them. Uh, that was very amusing to me. And, you know, fine, fine not to let Jake talk because, again, he doesn't really shine in these areas. Uh, so we can see that Archer is, you know, perfectly competent on the mic as well. Uh, yeah, I was just the premise of this was very amusing to me and I enjoyed it. Then we see Private Party backstage. They're upset about their loss. They're having a drink. Uh, Matt Hardy comes back and they do a little banter that confirms that Mark Quinn isn't going to be missing any time, which goes with what Dave Meltzer said, that Hardy taking him out was just a, an angle to get Hardy out of the way for the FTR debut. Uh, Matt Hardy says that Private Party is the future of tag team wrestling in AEW. And he says that their bond reminds him so much of his bond with his brother, which really gets uh, the private party boys excited. And he just points out that a lot of people helped them when they were a young team. And so he wants to help private party if they need it. Uh, Isaiah Cassidy says they can be called party party. And uh, then Matt leaves, walks by Sammy on the way out, as, as Mike mentioned earlier, and tells him that uh, he and Sammy are cool. Yeah, so I like this also. Um, as I tweeted last week, uh, you know, we know that Private Party got together when they were in training, and one of the two of them was wearing a Jeff Hardy shirt, and like, oh yeah, I really like the Hardy Boys. So, you know, naturally being, uh, you know, young guys of that era, um, they they did just wrestle him last week, so it's weird that they were like starstruck. <laughs> he came in, they're like, oh holy shit, it's Matt Hardy. It's like you guys just like actually had a match with him. Uh, but I do like the idea of him sort of taking on a, a mentorship role or whatever with those guys. That's a that's a fun aspect. I have an idea that I was putting together that I think that they should have the trios tournament and somehow Matt Hardy is involved in every like half the trios. So then the finals has to be like <laughs> Young Bucks and Matt Hardy versus Private Party and Matt Hardy. So we have the Party Party versus the Broken Elite. And I think that would be hilarious. This next up was another video. A lot of videos on this promotion, which uh, I enjoyed. I, I expected Nate's Elite to be less wrestling. There wasn't very much wrestling on this show. Well, this this one in particular, I did take note of because it had like a different music video kind of feel for Jungle Boy and kind of puts more shine on him in like a, you know, in like an older territory kind of way, they, way, the way they would use music videos, I think. Um, so this one in particular, I was like, oh, yeah, that was pretty good. Also, it wasn't just like a rote recap like some of the other ones were. Yeah, they, they kind of they showed a video with Cody's promo from last week, but they set it to highlights of Cody and AEW, which kind of they did it in a linear way that kind of told an, an interesting story and just basically setting up the whole open challenge gimmick, which I thought I assumed that meant this match was up next. But boy, was it not. <laughs> so uh, after that, we saw a video recapping the Mike Tyson, Chris Jericho feud, which, yeah, I guess is a thing. And uh, Chris Jericho came out and defeated 
Colt Cabana, as Nate mentioned earlier, Sammy saying Jericho out. And uh, Jericho won with the Judas effect. After the match, Jericho said, what just happened to Colt Cabana? It's the same thing that's going to happen to Mike Tyson, the piece of shit. He says, last week, the biggest thing in sports history happened because Tyson versus Jericho is the fight everyone wants to see. He said he wants to taste the blood of Mike Tyson when I shove his head straight up his stupid fucking ass. <laughs> I don't think it was fucking ass. I think it was straight up his asshole because asshole is, oh. a is a different uh, threshold than just okay. ass of swearing. All right. I thought he really went hard. I but mean, yeah, that know, makes sense. I didn't read his lips exactly, but my, my guess would be it was asshole. Yeah. Yeah. As someone who keeps track of cussing, <laughs> it, it, it was asshole. All right. Well, I like mine better, but fine. That's fine. Uh, Jericho says he doesn't want to wait for next week or the pay-per-view. He wants Tyson right now. He says, I want the baddest man on the planet to come out here right now. And of course, Orange Cassidy walks out. His music hit. He comes out. Uh, he puts Jericho's hands inside Jericho's belt, like they're his pockets. <laughs> uh, puts his own hands in his pockets. Hager tries to attack Orange Cassidy, but Orange escapes, and the best friends pull him behind the barricade. This was just like tonally exactly like with Orange Cassidy from last week. I think that having him come out right as I want the baddest man on the planet to come out is just like a great tonal idea, and you you, you know. They're going to eventually have to have Jericho versus Orange Cassidy, and that's something that I'm very intrigued on what kind of match that could be, especially considering where those two guys are in their career. That could be wild, or that could just be like a Memphis walk and brawl. And either way, I'm interested to see how it turns out. Yeah, this was very fun. Have to imagine Orange would have gotten a gargantuan pop if this was in front of a crowd, so it's too bad we missed out on that. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think they'd probably do it at Fighter Fest, maybe the second night of Fighter Fest to... You know, because I think the Tyson thing is going to be for whatever their next quarter of the pay-per-view is. Yeah, so, Tony, when you're listening to this, my birthday is July 1st. Put it on my birthday. I want Jericho versus Orange <laughs> Cassidy on my birthday. And if you can get strong hearts back over somehow on my birthday, that would be great, too. Great present for Mike as he hangs out in the Everything Elite Discord on his birthday. I mean, I guess I will be, yeah. I mean, you don't got shit else to do, buddy. <laughs> We're all stuck inside, okay? Yeah, uh, no, that, that, that's true. That's true. The Britt Baker video was up next. She was rehabbing on the practice field in her wheelchair. Uh, Reba, I guess I'll have to call her Rebel now, now that, now that Britt has, has broken the bit, uh, is helping her. We see her, uh, we see Reba uh, running across the field, pushing the wheelchair, which I thought was pretty funny. Rebel is so good in this. Like, she really sells it all really well. Doc Sampson trying to help. And then it closes with Doc, Rebel, and Tony encouraging Britt as she rolls up the ramp. Just great. Just great stuff. Like, yep. like, like the stuff where she was doing the ropes in her wheelchair had me cracking up. Like that was just good for Britt Baker, you know, like understanding, like, this is how we're going to do this. Like taking the Jericho mentorship and yeah, rebel rules in this role. Like doc Sampson is hilarious too. So like, this was a great bit. I think it was like only a minute long too. So it didn't like overstay. It's welcome. So yeah, solid stuff. I do. Uh, I worry that when we get back to full arenas, that Brit's going to be received like a big face just because she's been too entertaining. That's going to be a test for her. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. But it's also, I think they, you made this point on the show before that like um, all the biggest baby faces, you know, were. I think you actually made that show. That oh, point. did I? I think so. And then oh, I well. it, but okay. 
Okay, well, it's true. All the biggest baby faces uh, got over from being heels, you know, without even really trying to become, you know, like overtly trying to become baby faces. So it, it'll be interesting if they try to get her back over as a heel or just let it happen that, that everybody likes her now. Next up, uh, Nyla Rose defeated Big Swole, as we talked about, with a sit-out spine buster after the match. Um, Big Swole was interviewed. She said she was centered by the time she had off. Uh, she was upset she wasn't able to get it done today, but she's happy that the fans, I'm not sure what fans she's talking about, are behind her. And then Britt tries to run through the barricade uh, in the Rolls Royce, but Swole uh, comes after her with a chair, and Britt rolls away. So I think this I'm going to uh, I'm going to take this as the payoff to the two prior instances we saw of cars driving into the arena or into pipes. So this mm. was the third one, which she does in the back of a golf cart sitting in a wheelchair into the ring barricade. And that was kind of funny. I enjoyed it. Uh, Tony Schiavone was with Darby Allen. Tells us that the doctor has said Darby can't wrestle on dynamite because Brian Cage injured him. I, I think he probably got injured. Uh, skateboarding off the uh, ladder rather than uh, from Brian Cage. But he says, uh, do you think Brian Cage injuring you has anything to do with the, the weird Taz interviews, you know, that we saw in the weeks leading up to Brian Cage's um, debut? And Darby says, life's one big joke. I'll get the last laugh. Really good <laughs> mid-card story where it's like, hey, you know, you had this thing with an announcer and then he got brought a guy in and then, there seems to be like some personal issue there developing or what's going on with that. It's like, you've got some intrigue from week to week, but there's also like continuity of, you know, Taz wasn't being unreasonable or anything, but Darby was just being himself. And now it's like developed into a feud between two guys who could have a really good match. And it's cool that Brian cage has another match that's already scheduled. We know it's coming and, but that doesn't stop them from like doing another story. And we know Darby kind of has this long-term story with Cody but he can still have other things that he thinks about. So, Absolutely. yeah, I really not, enjoy this. And different, you know, vacuum-sealed feuds where everybody just stays in their lane. It's like, no, there's like some uh, dynamism to it. Well, it is called dynamite, Nate. Folks! <laughs> and that was the joke of the week, AB's joke of the week for June 5th, okay. 2020. Maybe the best one yet. <laughs> Oh, uh, Tony. I, I just write Tony and I for a second. I think it's Tony Khan every time, but I don't think he was on this episode. Tony Schiavone was with FTR. They say FTR isn't a catchphrase. It's a lifestyle. They said we're here in AEW, the pinnacle of the wrestling revolution. So right now FTR stands for for the revolution. They should have done. This is where they should have really talked about everything that's going on in the world. They could have really come out hard in favor of anti-police brutality protests. Well, they, they did on Twitter, so good on them because yeah. they were they were pretty uh, out and, you know, pretty genuine and emphatic about it. They talked about all the AW tag teams they'd like to face, didn't mention the Young Bucks, and Tony brings that up and says, hey, they're what tag team wrestling is all about. And this is where the, the feeling of the uh, segment turns. So you're kind of just getting a normal like baby face segment from FTR. And here they say, okay, that might be a dream match for everybody else, but it's not for us. We're tired of hearing about them. We don't think they're what tag team wrestling is all about because we don't want to have a great match with them. We just want to punch them in the mouth. But then 
I liked that transition, but then they kind of get weirdly back into like a baby face thought of <laughs> we want to figure out who the best team is. So we want them to be healthy. Uh, it's healthier than they've ever been. So there's no question about who is the best tag team. Uh, they're about to walk out after talking with Tony, but Butcher and the Blade show up back in the all white from uh, the week before, of course. And uh, some people break it up. And then FTR says, hey, you know, what we did last week wasn't personal. It looks like it was personal for you all, but we are, we're just taking care of business. So if you all want to settle this, let's settle it in the ring like businessmen. I thought the structure of this was pretty great, the way that they've set up this match. Um, you know, the interview, the promo... I don't know that they're great interview guys. Their talk is Jericho interview. It felt like a lot of, uh, you know, media training, trying to have it both ways kind of thing. And this kind of felt the same because they're, they're trying to do a story where it's like, oh, uh, you know, we don't, we don't need the Young Bucks match. It's not a dream match for us. But also, yeah, we're really going to build to this Young Bucks match at the same time. And they're kind of having it both ways. Maybe that's the point is that they're lying about, you know, the Young Bucks and, and seeing them as a rival or whatever. But I did like that they kind of do these resets where it's like we get their opinions on everybody in the division. And that's kind of something you can, uh, you know, get a full picture of who the players are and everything. And then having the butcher and the blade do a run in on an interview was awesome. They shot it super well where they just like entered in the background somewhere and the camera had to find them. Uh, that was super engaging. And now we have some juice for this match coming up while they do this slow build up to the Young Bucks. Man. Yeah. I mean, I'm more interested if they like, which I know they've already done this in this promotion, but if they did more of a, we don't want to wrestle the young bucks, you know, like a, a real like chicken shit heel type thing where at first they're just like, no, we don't care about that. But then they get to where they're just avoiding them. I think that's interesting, but I don't know. I was never a big fan of the revival, but I'm like weirdly intrigued. They they're interesting in this promotion. I think it's kind of fun to see them in a different thing and, and we'll kind of see how it goes. Yeah. I think that, I I'm closer to you on that AB. I the thing that I find real interesting about the promo was how they that the line they decided to go with Lucha Bros saying like we'll show you what real tag team wrestling is and then I know they've made comments about like tag ropes and stuff like that. So that there's a bit of me with FTR. I feel like they're trying to do all things for all people and I feel like that trying to have it both ways. Yeah, and, and that's something that might be the route to go down and use them as this very malleable team. And that's what I'm interested in is like, obviously with where the tag team division is and how they've really built it up. Like there's a lot of different ways you can go for this. Like if you're, what kind of match would they have against like your best, your best friends who excel in a certain kind of match? And how's that going to change from like Lucha brothers? So that's what I'm kind of interested in. I think that, them using that part of the promo was pretty effective with that when it wasn't kind of feeling like, as Nate said, they do have a tendency to kind of go talk like uh, former WWE employees a little too much about stuff. And I did get that impression a little bit in that promo. And also like, this is just like me being the aesthetics nerd. Like I like the idea of them like coming out, like as like the all dark denim thing, doing like Scott Hall day thing like this. And then, but then like what they were wearing and like the impression that like aesthetically they're trying to be, during the sit down interview kind of threw me off, especially I think like Dax wearing like forever 21 jeans with like all the rips on it was just like, okay, that's, that's a choice. So I'm interested to see, cause it seems like they're so malleable what they end up being, what's like their finished product. And I guess that's, that was my point there. No, I agree with that. I, I was, 
I was looking at their clothes. I was like, okay, what's this look that we're going for? Like it stood out to me. So I, yeah, I'm interested to see where that goes. Although, you, I mean, you think back about if you watch like 80s Jim Crockett, it's like the the big stars did dress like, you know, quote unquote fancy in a way. You know, they tried to look like they were, they had money and they were spending their money on these like nice clothes. It wasn't just Ric Flair, you know, who was doing that. So I don't know if it's supposed to be a throwback to that idea. But, uh, but is that look okay. fancy though? That looks like they're like members of uh, 21 Pilots. I'm just naming well, one random thing like, I've heard of. But it's like trendy, you know? I, I mean, I, that's kind of yeah, the point. I, I do. All, all the Japanese guys dress super well and buy ridiculous luxury clothing items. And they just all like Sonata. Bigger stars. Yeah. I mean, you know, anybody out of LIJ. Um, you know, Minoru Suzuki, like this streetwear brand. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously they should stay, stay true to who the characters are, but people just seem like bigger stars if you can see that they spend a lot of money on their clothing. I agree. I agree. Uh, Cole Cabana was backstage with Alex Marvez, and uh, I really enjoyed his part of, of this promo where he just said, you know, I feel like I'm doing well here. I'm proving that I can hang on national television, but when it gets to a match in the big spot, you know, I just haven't been able to get it done, which is like, all true. So it's just like interesting to hear someone talk through that. Uh, Brody Lee comes out. He says, we all suffer losses. Without losses, we don't grow. It's about how you respond to loss. And he suggests to Colt that he can help him. And he walks away and the, the I don't know, do we have a name for the other guy? He uh, hands Colt a bottle of water. He looks like R.D. Evans. He does look like R.D. Evans. Not That's R.D. Cool. Evans handed him a bottle of water. <laughs> yes. He also he kind of looks like uh, skinnier Kevin Magnuson. Okay, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah, no. He 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 drives for Haas. <laughs> he does. Uh, so Colt says, "Well, that's not that I want to be a part of." But and he's kind of like trails off. So I don't know. What do we think about? What do we think about this? About them suggesting that Colt is uh, might be intrigued by the Dark Order? Uh, do we think it's going to go anywhere at all? Uh, one of these has to go somewhere at one at some point, right? Right, right. They've only, they've only added the Beaver Boys and Preston Vance to this point, I think, and they've made overtures at Adam Page and uh, you know Colt Cabana and another team I'm forgetting, Marco and Stunt and Shima, Marco Stunt, Shima, even Brandon Cutler and all the jobbers. Like, you do have to at some point have somebody buy in, um, but. Probably not the right fit for Colt. And also at this point, it's like, you know, why would Colt look at him and going, well, yeah, you just lost your big match. I'm going to trust in you that you know what you're doing here. That's also a fair point. I mean, maybe this just builds to a Brody Lee-Colt Cabana match, which uh, could also be fun. Yeah, sure. And last was the TNT Championship match. Cody defeating Jungle Boy. Cody won with the Crossroads, a match I think we've, we've pretty well discussed. At this point, anything else you guys want to say about this match? Uh, the finish seemed like they had to rush the finish because they were running out of time or something. They had, mm-hmm. they had a big bump through a table to the outside. They both just got up immediately, went in the, went in the ring and did the finish. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's an edited show, guys. Mm-hmm. Can't, yeah. can't, can't we cut something somewhere? I mean, and they weren't doing the live feed through commercial breaks or the quote-unquote live feed. So, I mean, you, you could have done stuff there. I, I do think that... Jungle Boy took one of the better crossroads in recent memory. It seems like a lot of people have been taking 
Cody's moves and they haven't been looking so hot. I thought that this was a pretty strong looking crossroads. If you, I mean, if you've just been listening to this and you're thinking, fuck, I need more of these guys talking about pro wrestling, slide on over patreon.com slash everything elite. We do uh, at least a couple shows every week. So uh, you can have that to look forward to in your, in your podcast app. This week we did a, uh, a piece, a piece. It's not a fucking poem. I don't know why I said a piece. <laughs> we did a show. Uh, we wrote a thing. <laughs> yeah, about the state of AEW. I talked about the women's division. Nate talked about vlogs. And Mike talked about international partners. So uh, I thought that was pretty fun. I mean, I at least enjoyed it. So I think everybody should check that out. And of course, we all did AW Light on Wednesday where Mike and I previewed Dynamite. We reviewed Dark. And then Nate gets us up to date on all the vlogs from around the world of all elite wrestling. A minimum of an often a maximum of one block. <laughs> vlog. Uh, later this month. Oh, but let me talk about the discord. I always do, but we had our biggest showing for dynamite last night uh, of, of patrons. So it was, it's really a shitload of fun. So I hope you will come over and join us. Uh, as I've teased before, this coming month, we're going to have a new This Is installment. I don't think I've revealed yet who it's going to be about or who the no, guest not. is. Okay, I'm still not going to do that. Uh, Mike and I will be doing the Pod Beyond series, looking at War Games matches, even though there may not be a AW War Games match coming. But we're, we're still do a, doing it. Yes, we're going to do a Fighter Fest uh, retrospective and uh, just anything else that we decide to do. So come on over and join us. We've got three tiers. And uh, you can check those out at everything, no, at patreon.com <laughs> slash everything elite. Uh, five bucks will get you all the audio that we make. Yeah, and it'll get you access to all the audio we've done before. Last month, we did a retrospective about the first ever Double or Nothing. We have done stuff talking about stardom. We have done an AB's great series about Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Nate has had people come on to talk about uh, the new Japan shows. And we've do some stuff as it relates to like what we call the Kadani cast. It's just a fun time. So yeah, it's worth yeah. your $5. It is. And we have lots of fun guests. So plenty of stuff on there. Uh, I will have this month also an episode of lost on the mountain, the uh, smoky mountain wrestling podcast that I'm doing next week on dynamite June 10th. We're going to have a TNT championship match with Cody defending against Mark Quinn. FTR will take on the Butcher and the Blade. Jake Hager and Proud and Powerful will take on the best friends at Orange Cassidy. Colt Cabana is going to have a match with Sammy Guevara, so I guess the leg isn't too bad off. And John Moxley will be in action. Isn't that supposed to be on Dark? Isn't that is he's his Dark debut. And it's not his Dark debut because he faced against personal favor of the program, Fabu Andre. On dark. Really? Wait, what's what's going to be thought, on dark? I thought, I thought they saw that that it was his first time on dark. Yeah, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wait, so Colt and Sammy is going to be on dark? No, no John Moxley. On dark. Oh, yeah, he did wrestle Fabu Andre on dark. No questions about huh. it. Yeah. Uh, well, that's fun. Like, <laughs> Mike and I have become like really big fans of AW Dark. It owns. It, it's so much fun. Yeah, and like bringing in the champion to do a little squash match is like a great thing for a, a C show. Uh, so I, yeah, I love that. So what's the B show? Uh, BTE. BTE. <laughs> okay. 
Got it. <laughs> I, I I mean let let let's call BTE. it spade. Let's call a spade a spade. More stuff happens on BTE that's more relevant to what happens on Dynamite than anything that happens on Dark. Dark's its own weird universe. Uh, Nate, right now, QT Marshall is going to some real big divorce dad energy right now. Yeah. It's fantastic. Do, uh, they did on BTE this week actually reference that Allie was or is the bunny. Yes. So there was a modicum of uh, continuity on that point. So we'll keep out the, our eyes on that issue going forward. Absolutely. Uh, update on the Fighter Fest card, uh, July 1 and July 8. As we mentioned earlier, the first show will be live. The second show will be taped. John Moxley will defend the AW World Championship against Brian Cage. And Hangman Page and Kenny Omega will defend the Tag Team Championship against the Best Friends. So as that card builds up and as we get closer to July 1, we will do a... Uh, a normal preview that we usually do for all the big shows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything oh, will, else? Will we? Because it's just a normal episode of Dynamite, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. We probably won't. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> we will preview it on AW Light as we do on the Patreon. Or, every or week. True, I mean, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out. We got time. Yeah. We'll see what happens. But yeah, it's just an episode of Dynamite. So we probably won't do a, a full on preview. I don't know. Tony Khan has said that he's bringing the pay-per-view quality that happened on BR Live last year and making it two full episodes. Yeah, actually, actually Fighter Fest was pretty good. I was going to say, who can forget the quality? But that was really more fight for the fallen. I, I mean, I hope Jabela shows up. I mean, we need to figure out what Jabela is up to. We're probably getting more Kenny cosplay, right? Because he did the they did oh. the, the Street hmm. Fighter stuff, and then he's done Sans Undertale. Yeah. So we probably need a new cosplay candidate for Kenny on these shows. Well, give me Sheeta cosplay. I mean, she's going to defend the title on one of these shows, I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, we can we might get um, what's the one I said that she did, and you all and prove that I was uh, an idiot. From Mortal Kombat, which is just not in the right. Yeah, Chudley's from Street no, Fighter. From Street oh, Fighter. then maybe Chudley was what I meant. No, it was ah. Cammy. She's done cosplay as Cammy from Street Fighter. Well, that's close. That's pretty much the same. That is completely different. I mean, oh, close enough. Buddy. They both start with a C. Have you ever seen the uh, night, the mid '90s film Street Fighter? Yeah, of course. I, I then you know who Cammy and Chun Li are. Like, I do they, know who they are. I'm kidding. I played the game as a as a as a young AB, <laughs> a lowercase AB. <laughs> I, I'm imagining that like. I know that like my arcades actually had Street Fighter the movie, and I imagine that that's the version of Street Fighter that you played, not Super Street Fighter. I have no fucking clue which Street Fighter, and I don't know how to play it. I, I'm a button masher. That's that's God's way to play. <laughs> that tracks. That tracks. I don't understand how to play like fighting game. Like the strategy doesn't really make any sense to me. So I just hit the buttons and hope I win. I beat Final Fantasy VII remake. Congratulations, everyone. I do that. I do that thing where I get to the end of like something I'm enjoying, and then I just don't finish it because I don't really want it to be over. Yeah. Uh, so if anybody has any good takes or wants to respond to my take, where I called it the good version of the Last Jedi, <laughs> I know that sounds super appealing. <laughs> I, on Twitter, and you can reply to me there. Yeah, uh, I I had the exact same thing happen. I've been on the last chapter of Judgment for a long time, and I just need to pick it up and finish it. But I just enjoy being a detective in Camarocho. I haven't played Resident Evil 2 in some time. <laughs> are are I, you back in the hospital again? I had a really bad experience with the uh, tyrant. Okay. Uh, he like he's like really big and he like 
knocks around and you can't kill him apparently um so it's like and he like it's scary he like runs after you and it's really loud and i just i don't know what to do it's what you're playing the game for right isn't that the resident evil experience i guess but it was just like i was really cruising in the game i was like yeah i figured something out i was like finding the things that do the things that i wasn't sure about from before and i was like all right i'm gonna i'm killing this game now and then this tyrant guy just popped up and really threw me for a whirl and i just it uh i'm not good at games as everyone knows as i've talked about on the show and so you just you you hurt my confidence just a little and it's just a painful Mm. experience well, I believe in you, AB. You can you can hulk up and get back at it. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Well, that's the show for this week. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at everything AEW. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Nate is at Epitasis. And friends, he just invited you to reply to him, which is uh, a rare, uh, rare Nate invitation. So do it. I would say. I, not, uh, I should have mentioned that I did get the new Twitter feature where you can control who replies to you now. <laughs> All of my tweets are now set to no replies. So. Okay. All right. Bear that in mind. So don't reply to a tweet. Just add him. Period. Yeah, I do wonder if that's a. I guess the only benefit is like you can avoid getting dunked on by turning off replies on individual tweets, and then people can't see the whole thread of dunks. Yeah. I think it's still because if you can just add people still, then you can still you know harass them or whatever. And, and yeah. they can still quote tweet you. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess to avoid dunks, dunk threads ratios. Yeah. Uh, and then Mike is at Fuji. Hey, uh, he has not invited anyone to reply to him. So yeah, I, I just get a lot of anxiety guys. Just, <laughs> uh, subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating, give us a review and check out patreoncom slash everything elite. Uh, throw a few bucks to your good friends here at everything elite. We would appreciate it. So for Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron. We'll see you next time. Okay.